right. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, lead pastor here, and uh, excited to jump into week 31 of Romans. And we've been slowly uh, walking through this. And so, uh, again, just to, to, to recap, it's kind of one of the it's funny because, again, we've obviously been in this book for a long time, and while we, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ every week, I don't care what the text is, uh, Jesus is going to be the hero, the gospel is going to be the answer, but there's something about recapping the first three chapters of Romans where it's like, hey, here's the gospel, Jesus alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, right? And that's, that's what it is, and that's the gospel, and so uh, and the Apostle Paul uh, explicitly teaches that in the first three chapters, and then we get to then where we have been uh, for a while in this kind of second chunk here. How do we live then? And that's going to be chapters four through eight. And we're going to be finishing up chapter seven today. I don't know. I, in my email this past week, I was like, yeah, we're going to be starting chapter eight. And I don't know what I was thinking. That's not true. And I knew that wasn't true. Uh, I'd already started working on the sermon. I don't know what that was about. So if you're like, yeah, finally, chapter eight. Mm, no, we're not. We're not a chapter eight yet. We got to finish chapter seven. And so that's where we will. Uh, we're going to be this morning finishing up that, that chapter. And so again, the Apostle Paul goes through the gospel. This is what the gospel is. I don't care if you're religious, if you're irreligious, if you know who Jesus is, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you grew up a, a Jew under the law, if you didn't, this is the gospel. And then he says, and he starts getting into these hypothetical questions, right? Because he knows that when people get grace, we abuse the grace. We want to take that grace and make it about me. And how does it serve me? And so the Apostle Paul is going to answer these hypothetical questions. There's going to be four of them. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the fourth one. And so the first one that we went through is, what shall we say then? Are we, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By, by no means. No, like absolutely not, right? And the whole reason why this comes up is because he says, hey, where, where there is sin, grace abounds all the more. So then my selfish, my selfishness and my selfish view of the gospel is going to say, okay, so that means I can just sin all I want. I can just do whatever I want. And he's like, uh, no, that's not what the gospel is. That when we see Jesus and we're clothed in his righteousness, we, we want to pursue him. There's a, there's a change in who we are. And that's the first question. The second question that he gets into in verse 15 of chapter 6 says, that, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, by no means. All right, and so that's the second question. You can say, okay, so, so yeah, we're, we're, we're in Christ. We're under grace but then we're not in the law. We've died to the law, that the law isn't going to save us. So then I guess still, I guess that means we can do whatever we want. He's going to say, no, 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 that's not the case. So again, go back a couple weeks. And then last week looked at this question, what shall we say then? That the law is sin by no means. All right, he's going to go in because again, if, if you're, he's, he's thinking, what are the readers? What are the people in Rome, the, the, the Christians that are in Rome reading this letter? What is their thought process going to be as they read about the grace of God? And they're going to say, whoa, Paul, you're saying that the law is evil. Are you saying that the law is bad? And he's going, no, that's not what we're saying. Is the law sin? No. He's saying, yet, had it not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet had the law not said, you shall not covet, that the law points out our, the sin in our lives, and we realize there's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wretched. I'm a, I'm a terrible person because I'm constantly falling short of the laws that put in. I can never do it. And then Jesus shows up, and he's like, you don't have to because I did. And then that's why we put our faith in him. And so that leads us to this week's sermon, looking at uh, Romans chapter 7, 13 through 25, that I've titled Wretched Saints. The apostle Paul is going to introduce us to this inner turmoil, this, this tension that happens within 
every believer, right? We've used this language before uh, that, that we talk about the gospel. And, and I think growing up in the church, maybe being over-churched and, and that we would, we would use the gospel as something we would hand out, right? It was a, it was a tract, like here's the gospel, believe the gospel. And, and we would talk about it as like a gospel door, right? I go from death to life. That's, and that's good. Everyone needs to do that, right? That's what the gospel is, that we need to believe. We need to go from darkness to marvelous light. And, and so we do that, but, but that's all the gospel was to me. And, and then realizing that the gospel isn't just a door I walk through. It is, a, it is a path that I walk in every day, every moment that I have to remind myself constantly of the gospel. Martin Luther says that we need to continually beat the gospel into our heads. Why? Because we are so prone to wander. We are so prone to forget. And that's what the apostle Paul is going to talk about. We are so quick that even though we're walking this path to turn and to take our eyes off of Jesus, just like Peter, when they were on the water and Jesus walking on the water, and he's like, can I come out to you? And he jumps out in the water and he's fine. And then what does he do? He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he gets, he gets overwhelmed by what's happening around him. And we, we do the same exact thing over and over and over. When I was in uh, junior high uh, or what uh, uh, middle school is what you call it up here, uh, we, I, I, I was a cool uh, junior hire, you know, I'm talking about, you know, all those cool ones. Uh, that was me. And I had this phrase that I would use a lot of like, hey, who's the greatest nation? And then it'd be like, ah, oh, it's United States, whatever, right? And then I'd be like, wrong, it's procrastination, right? Procrastination is the greatest nation, stupid, uh, right? And that was just my reason for doing my homework, like on the car to school or whatever, right? Um, that's just how, and I, I still still struggle with this. And I, and I think I, I may have shared this before, but a lot of you know that I did acting, you all know that. Uh, back in the day, and and one play that I was in, I, I was Linus in the 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 Broadway musical Your Good Man Charlie Brown. Linus didn't have to sing a lot, uh, so it, it was okay. I fit I fit right in. Um, but there's this uh, there's this scene where they have to do a book report on Peter Rabbit. And that's the name of the song, and it's this round, and they and everyone's kind of singing, and, and Linus, you know, my character would just he was just waxing eloquently about the philosophy and the family pressures and poverty and all these different things, and. And you've got uh, Sally, um, who uh, would, would, she she gets in there, and it's just like a little kid writing a, a book report. Right? This is a this is a book report on Peter Rabbit, and it was very 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 good. Right? She's trying to get her word count in. Well, then Charlie Brown has this this uh, this as he sings it. Right? He says this: If I start writing now, I'm not going to sing it. When I'm not really rested, it could upset my thinking, which is no good at all. I'll get a fresh start tomorrow, and it's not due till Wednesday, so I'll have all of Tuesday unless something should happen. Why does this always happen? I should be outside playing, getting fresh air and sunshine. I work best under pressure, and there'll be lots of pressure if I wait till tomorrow. I should start writing now, but if I start writing now when I'm not really rested, it could upset my thinking, which is no good at all, <laughs> right? He says, and it just, but that's, is that not our, that's, this is what the Apostle Paul is going to say in this text. There is this internal struggle intention of, I, I want to do what is right. I, I really do. If there, was a, if there was a switch, if there was a way to just turn off my sin nature and only be good, I would do it, right? I, I want to do it, but I don't. I don't do these things. And so that's going to be this tension that we're going to see in this text this morning. So, Again, let's look at this opening question uh, that we have. Uh, the last of these four uh, questions by potential opponents to the free grace of the gospel. So he's going to start off with this in Romans chapter 7, verse 13. 
did that which is good then, that is the law, law of God, did that which is good then bring death to me, right? Did the law make me sin? And we looked at this last week. No, sin is the bad guy, right? It, it's, it's sin that's to be blamed, not the law of God. God is not the one who, who made us sin. We are sinners. We sin because we're sinners. And sin used the law to, to entice us, to break the law, right? And then the law then, does the law then bring me to death? And he's going to say, by no means. Again, absolutely not. It was sin. And he says, I just got done talking. It was sin producing death in me through the law, through what was good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure that where the law is, sin increases all the more. That we see laws that, we, that there's something in us. We feel this tension that we just wanna, we just wanna break the rules. And he said, and that's the same way. We see all these laws. We see what God wants us to do and how we should live. And we go, yeah, I just don't want to do that. And the death that comes because of our sin. So the second uh, point here is who is this passage talking about? Uh, verse 14 says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Uh let me get into this, right? Because there's, there's a lot of um, different viewpoints, not like a lot of different ones. There's two different viewpoints on this, but everyone has a different viewpoint of one of those two. Or, and depending on who you read and which commentary you read, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read them, the two that I have, two, two people and two commentaries that we've really used a lot in this, at least that I've used a lot, uh, R.C. Sproul and his commentary in Romans uh, and Douglas Moo and his commentary in Romans, uh, both land at different spots. And then if you wait until uh, certain people get a little bit older, they will switch their position on this. So, so it's okay, well, well what's, who, what are we talking about here? Meaning this, the, the whole issue that comes up with this verse is this idea of being sold under sin. The Apostle Paul just got done saying over and over and over, you have died to sin. If, if you are in Christ, sin no longer has dominion over you. You, you are free from that. You, you, you now have a new master, right? You, you can look sin in the face. You can look temptation in the face and say, mm, not today. We have that freedom. And so if we're sold under sin, the big question that comes down to what we're about to read, is this about a Christian who struggles with his sin or is this about a non-believer who has no idea what's going on? They're, they're wallowing in their lostness and their sinfulness, okay? So let me, let, me, let me read a couple of these commentaries. The first one is, is uh, R.C. Sproul, and he says this, there is a distinction common throughout evangelical Christianity, Christianity that there are three types of people, those who are not Christians and, those, and then two kinds of Christians, spiritual Christians and carnal Christians. This has created quite a bit of confusion and because of that confusion, we must examine carefully what Paul says. But I am unspiritual, or carnal in the King James Version, sold as a slave to sin. Remember that the apostle is writing after his conversion, and yet he is using the present tense. So, so Sproul's big point that he's saying is, the apostle Paul is saying, I, in this passage, it is about I, Paul, am this. Okay, so he's, he's going after the, the language, the, the tense that he's using. It says, so... If we ever have any absolute authority to call someone a carnal Christian, it would have to be the Apostle Paul because he declares under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he is, in the present tense, carnal. That's one perspective. 
The other perspective, Douglas Moo, says this, our conclusion already indicated by our exegesis of 7, 7 through 12. Again, exegesis just means pulling truth out of the text. That's a good thing. Uh, let's take the text and put it into our camp. We don't want to take our camp and put it into them. That's eisegesis, bad, always bad. X out of good. So we already indicated this in the exegesis, taking and studying this passage of 7, 7 through 12. Then in verses 14 through 25, what we're about to read, describe the situation of an unregenerated person. Specifically, I think that Paul is looking back from his Christian understanding to the situation of himself and other Jews like him living under the law of Moses. St. Augustine was one who flipped on this. St. Augustine uh, changed his mind. He started out believing that the man described in Romans 7, 14 through 25 was Paul prior to his conversion. However, by the time he had become an old man, he changed his mind and taken the position that Romans 7, 14 through 25 was instead a description of the Christian apostle Paul, right? That this is, and I've, and I've sat under people, and, the, and Augustine was the same way, that if this, if this text isn't about a Christian and the internal struggle with their own sin, then I don't know if I'm a Christian because I feel this. And if I am free from this turmoil, ugh, I'm in trouble, okay? So, so what is it? The answer is yes. The answer is, I don't think it really matters, okay? And, and we're going to read the text, and we're, gonna, we're actually going to read it twice. One lens through the old man, a person who's unregenerate, and then through the lens of someone who's a believer to the church, of somebody who says, no, 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 this, this is, I, sh- I struggle with this, right? So we're going to read it two different ways. What I want to do, though, and what I want to do, this, is, this has been, uh, if you've been around for a little while, and we've been going through this, this book, um, I, I, like, I like to get in the weeds. I like to get into the theology. I like to, right, and I hope that if you have your, your, your book, that your, your book of Romans, that we've got all the, the, the room for notes that you've got. Hey, man, this word means this, and it connects to this, and look at all these questions, and it goes to this. I, I enjoy that part. Of course you could go deeper. Of course you could do more. Always could do more. And I enjoy that. But sometimes I think that we get so lost in the weeds, right? And there's, and there's part of me that wants to look at this and go, I want to give you an answer. Right? I, I want to get into the Greek. I want to get into the language and say, man, this is what this means. And this is what this word means. And, and, and yet I don't think that that's important, right? We, we, I've used this analogy. And so this is the best uh, image I could find of a raft uh, online, but it, it works for my purposes. Um, that, that uh, let me explain. Um, I often have described this uh, of being a Christian, of, of being on a raft, okay? And there's supposed to be five uh, main beams there. There's only four, and that's okay. Uh, but in the illustration, we take these big logs that make up the raft, call them the fundamentals of the faith, call them just what the core aspects of Christianity, that if you don't believe this, if you don't believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ for my sins, you're not on this raft. You're on a completely different boat, right? The raft is Christianity, okay? But with Within the raft, there are, there are cargo, right? So you can see those little very cheaply superimposed cardboard boxes there. Uh, one on the boat, one off the boat. And the reason why I use this analogy is because Christianity, right? There's a, there's a lot of churches out there. There's a lot of different flavors, a lot of different tribes, a lot of different uh, denominations out there. Why are there so many? If we're all Christians, why can't we all just get along? It's a great question. One of them, though, is this idea of the cargo, these doctrines and theologies that we, that we have that are part of, uh, of, of being a Christian. And yet it doesn't make me a Christian to believe this or to not believe this. And yet some pieces of those cargo are more important. And so if we were going to go on a long journey on a raft, 
just hypothetical here, right? What would be in there that would be vital, right? And if it's 95 degrees out uh, and, and someone says, hey, this is a box of socks and winter boots, I'm throwing this in the water. Forget the littering analogy, I understand all that, right? But I'm getting rid of this. Right? And that might be something like our view on end times theology, right? This could be our view like when and how is Jesus going to come back? I don't know, but I do know that Jesus is going to come back. That part, that's, we're all in agreement on that, but all the, hey, I'm okay with throwing that one in the water, right? I'm okay with agreeing to disagree on that, but certain doctrines we're going to hold on tightly to and say, this isn't the raft. And yet this is really, really important. Today, what I want us to do is focus on the raft. We could very easily get very nitpicky and start opening up cargo boxes and digging into them. Do we need this piece? We need that piece and really start doing that. But I don't want to do that this morning. This morning, I just want to let the passage speak to our hearts. I I want to be your pastor because I need this. I need this text this morning. All right, so I'm just going to read this. And again, I'm going to read it two times. And the first time, I'm, I'm not really going to make a lot of comments. I'm not going to pause. I'm not going to dig in. What does he mean by this? I'm really not going to do that this morning. I just want to speak to our hearts, okay? And so the first time through, I want to read it with the lens of I'm a non-believer. And the Apostle Paul is now reflecting, as, as Douglas Moo would say, he's, he's a Christian reflecting back under his enslavement to sin and the law. And and the reason why I want to do this, and let this speak to your heart, first ask, is is this me? Am I a non-believer who who just doesn't have a choice? I I only submit to sin. And do I know other people who this might describe? That That I want them to be free. I want them to be redeemed in the gospel. So again, in that lens, Paul says this, for I do not understand my own actions. As a non-believer, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Excuse me, I lost my spot there. Uh, nothing good dwells in me. There it is. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And you can understand why Douglas Moo would say, yeah, this this is a person who, who is under the law, who doesn't, who has not been yet set free from the law and from sin and and is reflecting back. I think we can see that. But I want to read it again and and try not to get lost this time. And and I want us again with this lens to say, as a believer, is this where I'm at? Am I struggling? Am I wrestling with this internal internal turmoil of walking the gospel path and, and making decisions and wanting to fight sin and yet so stinking often submitting to my old master of sin, even though I've been set free? 
Let me read it again. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I, I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I titled this sermon, Wretched Saints, based off of this verse 24, and specifically off of a book uh, that I was given by uh, this uh, handsome bearded gentleman, uh, Noel Heikinen. He's a pastor in Lansing, Michigan, um, a friend of mine. And he, he gave me this book, Wretched Saints, and he put a little sticky note on there. It was, I was the only one he gave it to. He gave it to... You know, when you write a book, you know the author, they like buy 900 copies of their own book. You're like, oh, you take my book. You know, that was kind of one of those things. Um, and he wrote on there in a sticky note, uh, I wrote this book about you, <laughs> right? Yeah, because it's true. You, you're a wretched saint. And so I, I just want to kind of give these three points that Noel gives in this. Number one being, I have a sinful nature. So as long as I live in this world, I can't possibly be perfectly sinless, okay? And I, and I think Noel is really getting after here this idea of Romans chapter 7, 14 through 25. I have this internal turmoil. I have a sin nature and it just is constantly weighing me down. And as long as I live in this world, I can't possibly be perfectly sinless. And we, we have this ongoing battle within our, within our own minds, within our own lives, within our flesh. The second point that he gives is, I live in a fallen world that sings siren songs of seduction to that sinful nature. We have our old master going back and looking at, hey, we've been bought, we have a new master, but we we can still hear our old master saying, hey, hey, don't don't do that, don't do good, Do, do this thing. Remember this thing that brings you joy? This thing will bring you satisfaction. And we go, yeah, 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 that, I'm gonna take my eyes off of Jesus. This actually satisfies me more than him. We live in a fallen world that just is constantly berating us over and over with the seduction to our sinful nature that I think we see in Romans chapter 7. Now, the truth is that we can't do anything about these two. If we live in this fallen world, there's nothing that we can do to set ourselves completely free from our sin nature and from a broken world. We can't do it. Only Jesus can do that. And someday he's going to come back and he's going to make everything new. He's going to make all the wrong as if it were untrue. But we're not there yet. We're in between. We're in the already Jesus died and saved me and forgave me my sins, but the not yet of we're not completely made whole and right yet. And then finally, his third point, 
I believe the lies, these faulty sensors that cause me to act as if certain things are true about me. Now, this one we can speak into, and I think the gospel and Jesus can speak into. Let me uh, expand on this idea of these faulty sensors. A lot of you know I've got my old, my old Jeep, my 96 Jeep Cherokee. Uh, last night I was looking for an image of, of the Jeep, and then I was like, I could just go to the garage and take a picture, but that would be too much work. Let me just Google Jeep Cherokee dashboard, and this was the first one that came up. So this one's fancy. It's got a CD player, and mine doesn't. But the point I wanted to make was on the left side, under that steering wheel there, uh, you can see uh, the sensors that, that are over there. And, and what I wanted to point out with mine was that mine for, for a decade or more, the low washer fluid, low washing is a light that's on. And this Jeep has the exact same light on. Okay. So, so it actually worked out great because it doesn't matter how much I top it off. It doesn't matter how much I use it. It doesn't matter. That light is always stinking on. And the problem is when we get these faulty sensors that are constantly in front of us, we start to believe them. And when I first got the Jeep, when I first, maybe, maybe it took a couple years for me to realize, oh, this light is always on. Maybe I should go put some more uh, washer fluid in it, right? And I would, and I'd go and I'd buy some and then I would go to fill it up like, oh, it's already full, right? And then I would use it and I would maybe go through a bottle. And then, and then there was at one point I had like two or three bottles of washer fluid in the back of my trunk because I kept forgetting, right? I, I kept believing this faulty sensor that I'm, I'm low on washer fluid when it just simply isn't true. We start to believe them. And when we start to hear the faulty sensors that happen in our lives, whether it's from other people, whether it's from the world or temptation, or just we even are within our own minds, we hear, hey, that thing you did to your, your kid last night, you, you manipulated them to, to get them to obey. You are a manipulator. You are whatever. And we start to believe this. We start to believe, we start hearing these false, faulty sensors of you are a failure. You're a weakling. You're an idiot. You're an embarrassment. You're a loser. You're a pervert. Just last night on the way home from this thing, I was with Henry, my six and a half year old, and we're driving home and I don't, I don't man, I don't know where this came from. We're driving and, and he goes, uh, Savannah, his best friend, she lives across the street from us and same age. And, and he goes, yeah, Savannah's uh, a lot, lot more stupid than me. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, so first off, Savannah is not stupid. Uh, and just out of curiosity, why do you think that? Like, where is that coming from? And he goes, well, she doesn't really know math the way I know math. Oh, you think that makes her stupid? I said, do you know Spanish the way that she knows Spanish? No. Okay. All right. That, that, is, a, that is a false sensor going off. And if my son, thankfully, he never told her, Savannah, you're stupid. I think you're stupid. That is a false sensor that's going off to a little girl who's hearing that maybe from her best friend. And you know what she's going to start doing? She's going to start believing that. And we do this to ourselves and we do it to each other. We do it to people that we love most. We say something and it, and it, and we, and it just is in front of us all the time and we start to believe it. And Jesus comes along though and he says, you might have manipulated. You might have done something very idiotic in that moment, but you are not a manipulator. You are not defined by your sin. You are not defined by this faulty sensor. It doesn't define you. I define you. 
and I made you free from that. The problem is, oh, whoops, I was supposed to read a passage here from Jesus. This is the lie. (laughs) Jesus talks about this. John chapter eight says this, you are of your father, the devil, and you and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand for truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. We hear these lies and we believe them. Jesus says, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus shows up, he says, oh, you, you might think you're a manipulator. You might think that you're a liar and you might be a liar. You might lie, but that doesn't define you. I do. I tell the truth. I set you free from that. The problem is though, going back to the Jeep, is that we don't listen to Jesus. We try to fix it on our own. Uh, growing up in Chicago, um, I don't, we, maybe we're supposed to do this in Minnesota, maybe I've never done it, but we had very strict uh, codes when it came to vehicles and you had to get them checked all the time. And, and if you had a check engine light and you, every year, I'm not, I'm not, every single year you had to take your car to the DMV and they would look. And if you had a check engine light on, out. Car is no longer usable until you get it fixed, okay? So what you would do, I never did this, but I know people who did, is you would take a piece of electric tape, black electric tape, and you'd put it over the sensor, right? And, and because when you took a quick glance at it, it, was, it just matched it perfectly, and you'd be like, yep, you're good, you're, you're fine. That's, that's self-help, right? That is, oh, no, 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 I, I, might, I might really struggle with manipulation, but at least I'm smart. But at least I'm educated. At least I, I'm, I'm worthy in this other way. At least I'm, at least I'm pretty. At least I, I might be that, but I'm, I'm okay because I'm filling the blank. And all that is is a piece of electrical, electrical tape over the faulty sensor and it doesn't fix it. It makes it worse. Why? Because I've got gears grinding on my internal combustion that, there's, that didn't make sense. I understand. Okay. We got problems with our engine and they're, they're, it's just going to get worse. It's not going to fix itself. Sometimes the Jeep does. You bang on it and lights start working again. A little different scenario, okay? It doesn't fix it. It's a band-aid. It covers it up. We'll put our tape again over that for a quick fix. The self-help that will make us feel better. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm okay. But I'm okay because of this. Because of my job. Because I, got, I, got, I, have, I have smart kids. <laughs> my kids know math. <laughs> I don't know math, but my kids know math, right? It's a problem. The issue is that we don't need a quick fix that does more harm than good. We need Jesus. So let me finish this third point from Noel. He says, I believe the lies, these faulty sensors that cause me to act as if certain things are true about me that are not true in the least. That's the gospel. I am wretched. I am beautiful and I am loved. All right. And this is not like a, Hey guys, Hey, we're, we're okay. You know, we're all good. No, no, no. The, the truth is we are awful. We are sinners to the core, but Jesus sees you and he knows you and he hears you. And he says, I know you're struggling with that thing. I need you to know that you're beautiful and I love you. I love you so much that I died for you. I don't think we believe this. That when we're in, right, we all have seasons of ups and downs. And when we're in our downs and somebody said, hey, I want you to know that Jesus thinks you are beautiful and you're loved. I'm like, you are so full of it. I'm a piece of garbage. I am a thing that is discarded into a bin and people can't wait to get rid of it. That's how I feel. 
And Jesus says, stop putting tape over it because what you just said is garbage. You're loved by me. Final point. <laughs> Thank you for the Lord. I've got a uh, my Jack, my four and a half year old. He, every time he prays, he he starts off. He's like, "Hey, anyone want to pray for dinner tonight?" And, he, and Jack, well, I, I do. And he just goes, "Thank you for the Lord. It's a very nice day." It's like, all right, it's good, buddy. I appreciate that. Right. Apostle Paul does that. Right. He just gets done saying, "Oh, wretched." Man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. You are wretched, but you are beautiful and you are loved because of Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I I want to do this thing, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And we're going to have to stop there because next week, the apostle Paul is going to destroy these faulty sensors. He's going to just rip them right out of the dashboard and be like, these don't even exist. We're not there yet. But he's going to completely destroy them with the blood of Jesus. Just some biblical truths that I know I need this morning. Maybe you're okay. You're like, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I don't struggle with this. I'm okay. I need this. You and God are completely 100% at peace. Oh, with God, sorry. You and God are completely 100% at peace. You are not condemned no matter what you do. And if you look at that and you go, oh, well, then I guess I can do whatever I want. Again, go back and read the last couple chapters. You are a beloved child of God. You are perfect through Jesus. He's the one who takes your sin and nails it to the cross. He is the one who says, it's finished. Stop trying to earn righteousness. Stop trying to earn my love. You have it. You are a gift. God the Father gives Jesus. You are a gift. God the Father will one day give himself. So what do we do with that. Let's fight sin together. I think you've heard me say this before, but no good theology comes from an island that when we start, we, we, we remove ourselves from community and we get in our you know, closets and we just start thinking this thing, and oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing and I'm going to, oh no, no, I know I'm struggling with this sin. I know that I probably should open up. I should be uh, vulnerable and maybe get some accountability, but I, I don't need that. I can do this alone. That's not the, that's not the body of Christ. It's not the church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 18, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Messiah, the Christ, the one that we've waited for. Who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, this truth of who I am as the Messiah, 
as the savior of the world. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Satan is constantly screaming at us, faulty censors, and together the church gets to go and storm the gates of hell. Again, the gates of hell are defensive. They, the devil cannot attack us with his gates. Jesus, the church, gets to go forward and go and do this together. And so, so I've got this image, right, of the raft. And I threw a bunch of people on the raft, right? And there are times that we need to set our preferences aside. There are times where we throw some doctrines into the water to say, we're doing this together. I want to fight sin together. I want to take my, my comfortability. I want to take my privacy and I want to, I want to keep it, I want to keep it here. We got to throw that into the water. We got to get rid of that. We got to set our preferences aside so we can fight sin together. So, in gospel application and conclusion, I'm okay in Jesus. I, I, I need you to say that. I just say it out loud. It'd be weird. We don't talk out loud at church. But I'm okay in Jesus. You're okay in Jesus. And whatever those sensors that have been going off maybe for a decade like my Jeep, you start to believe it. You start to say, yeah, I am that thing. I am a pervert. I am twisted. I am whatever. Jesus says, you are wretched, but I have saved you and you are beautiful. You are loved. I'm okay in Jesus. And just secondly and finally there, we are okay in Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We get to submit under his headship as he says, no, you're okay in me. And we get to collectively fight sin together. We get to share sin. We get to talk about our problems. We get to talk about our struggles, our shortcomings. And then not only just talk about it, but we get to speak truth to one another. It's a lot easier for me to share the gospel with you than it is for me to share the gospel with myself. And we need to do that with each other. We have communion every week uh, here at Hope Lower Town. In communion, we get to take the body, this wafer that represents his body of Christ that was broken for us, the juice that represents his blood, that was shed for us. And we collectively as a church, right? I've said this a million times that my faith, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, but it is never okay to be private. It is not a private relationship with Jesus. It's personal, not private. And we get to celebrate and take these elements together. We get to remember the finished work of Jesus. And when we take these elements, whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever our sensors are to say, I'm okay. Because of Jesus, not because of anything that I've done. I am wretched, but I am okay because of him. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you'd say, yeah, I am okay in Jesus. I struggle with it sometimes, but I am okay in Jesus. I would love for you to partake of these elements with us and remember the finished work of Christ on the cross. The worship team's gonna come back up and they're gonna play two songs. So feel free to grab those elements and then be seated and feel free to stand and sing wherever you see fit and uh, pray, repent, thank, uh, thank God, thank Jesus. Uh, thank you for the Lord. Right, I am a wretched, oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from my bondage? Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. A text that, that can be confusing at times, and yet a text that can be so freeing. A text that we can hear from the Apostle Paul. That the man who's writing this, the man who's writing part of our New Testament says, oh, wretched man that I am. We are sinners. 
We have fallen from grace. We are fallen short of the glory of God. And yet you show up. You say you are never beyond my reach. No one anywhere at any point at any time is beyond the reach of your gospel. Would we believe that today? That those of us who have walked through that gospel door and we're really struggling to stay on the path, would your grace just scream at us that we're okay in you? Would we believe that? Would we believe that truth? Would we believe that dashboard that's going off that we're okay? God, we love you and I pray that as we take these elements that we would remember that this is finished. We can't add anything to our justification. I cannot make myself more saved. You have already accomplished that. We love you, we thank you. And it's in the Son, in the name of your Son, the Messiah, the Christ, the one on whom this church is built and founded in the name of Jesus that I pray.